Hello, Zach State students, and welcome once again to the State Hornet News Podcast. My name is Robbie Pierce. I am your podcast editor. And for this week, we are revisiting our conversation with Stan Oden from last week. And we're going to go more into his activities at UC Davis, getting involved with the leadership of several black student organizations on that campus, and eventually with local Sacramento chapter of the Black Panther Party. And my life really started changing when I went to Davis. And that was a really different experience. Um, so you said that you saw Northern California as like the center of the revolution during that time. Mm-hmm. So how did you get involved with the Black Panther Party then? Mm. But there was a lot of steps. Um, when I was at UC Davis, there was only four African-American students on campus, 40 out of 10,000 students. And there were, there were actually more African students than African-American students. And so when I was at San Diego, I, I did connect up with the black students at San Diego State University. And they were forming the Black Student Association out there. And I, and I was with them. Even though I wasn't going to that school, I became friends because people I knew out there. And, I, and so I was associating myself with what they were doing. So I really saw how to organize students on, on, on a college campus by looking at what they did at San Diego State. So I brought that knowledge with me to Davis. And, and after I started to learn the campus, I... Um, helped organize the black student um, organization at Davis and I became vice president of the organization and then um, the guy who was president uh, transferred spring quarter so I was elevated to the presidency. I changed the name to the Black Student Union. Not too many weeks thereafter was when Martin Luther King was assassinated October 4th 1968 so I was I was Stunned like everyone else was by his death. The country was burning up with African Americans uh, in the streets, very upset with uh, the death of Dr. King. At Davis, which was seemingly out in the middle of nowhere, um, I was with my, my, my good friend Charles Smith, who was my roommate. And, and we were watching all this on the TV and sitting back really despondent. And, and, and he said, hey, man, we got to do something. We can't just sit up here and, and be sorry for ourselves. We need to organize something. Now, uh, now he had been at Davis a year before me because I transferred. So he knew the campus better than I did. He says, man, we got to organize this campus for a rally. I said, sounds good to me. So that evening and that night, we ran off flyers, we organized a rally to be held at the quad in the middle of the campus at Davis, and we passed out flyers all over the campus, the dorms, we got in touch with the news media, we did all this. We had over 4,000 people at that rally the next day in commemoration of Dr. King. And I led that event, and so that kind of thrusted me into the leadership. Uh, of what was going on in Davis. And I and later that day, I joined a bunch of folks as we marched down Capitol Mall for a big, for a big commemoration rally at the state capitol, which at the, at the steps of the state capitol, when I was up there at the podium with Ronald Reagan, the governor Ronald Reagan. You know, on campus, we started to organize, and so we just, the Black Student Union, decided to uh, do something to commemorate Dr. King, so we formed something called the Martin Luther King Coalition. 
And that was a group of student organizations led by the Black Student Union to basically to increase the, the enrollment of black and Latino students or Chicano students on campus. We also were concerned with farm worker issues. So we began organizing because we knew that that was going to take a lot of organizing and talking. So in the spring semester, in the spring quarter of 1968, that was mostly all I did. <laughs> I had a full load and I did this too. And so we organized uh, the regents uh, at that time period, um, the campuses around the country, around the country, but more or less in California, black and third world students were, were on strike. So the region says, well, we got to have a regents meeting. They had all the regents meetings at the campuses. So we know a safe campus, Davis. So they chose to have their regents meeting at Davis. We organized 2,000 students to meet them when they came. I remember meeting with a committee of the regents because they wanted to meet with, with the leadership of the coalition and basically see what our demands were. We didn't have demands, we had proposals because we said, well, we're not gonna be like other campuses and make demands, we're gonna give you proposals. And so um, I remember talking with uh, some of these millionaires. <laughs> I remember walking to the meeting with the dashiki on and you know, they were, Ooh, that looks pretty. That's nice. And so I remember us negotiating and talking with him. And then, uh, then the next day was the Regents meeting, Freeborn Hall, at Davis on the campus. And we had a thousand or so students in that room. Um, and Governor Reagan called out the CHP on us. And he had it masked at the at the airport at Davis, wanting to come in. In, in, if we were to start protesting at the meeting, they were going to arrest us. Um, and the Speaker of the House, who was probably the most powerful legislator besides the, uh, the governor, Jesse Unruh, at that meeting, called out Reagan about having the CHP out there because the students were peaceful and everything. And so we had an impact. And then the, so, so we, you know, we had people speak at that meeting. Um, <laughs> I didn't speak because people escorted me out. My friends escorted me out of the meeting. They said, you were looking kind of crazy at Ronald Reagan. You know? <laughs> I mean, he was a governor sitting not far from me. He said, man, you look like you was going to go punch him. And I said, I wasn't going to do nothing. But anyway, I was escorted out of the room. And just, they said, for my own safety. But the regents did, make, did not make any decisions at that meeting. And um, their next meeting was going to be at Santa Barbara. And so we organized about 500 students, and we, and we mobilized them, and we went down to Santa Barbara for the next Regents meeting. And I remember the next day, they basically closed the campus down because <laughs> they thought we were the invaders from Davis. It was funny. Uh, but we got to the, to the student union where the meeting was and the Regents, and the Regents at that meeting announced the new EOP program that basically would say that they were going to admit more black and Latino students and poor students into UC campuses. We won. We won. They acceded to our, to our proposals. It wasn't just us at Davis. It was the pressure from other UC campuses and from students all over the, all over the state making demands for ethnic studies programs, making demand for bigger, bigger enrollment. So, so we were successful, 
and the next year we we probably we had 40 students the year before the next year we next year we had over 100 black students on campus and many of those and some of those students came out of prison to go to our campus because they because back then if you were in a youth facility and you went to school you could get a, a basically an AA degree and you could transfer to a UC and that's what ha happened to several of those guys who came out of those and they became good friends of mine and they became very active in the Black Student Union when they came to Davis. So that was in 1968. That summer, after Dr. King was killed in June, Robert Kennedy was assassinated when he was running for president. And I wasn't necessarily a Robert Kennedy guy, but when you had a killing of King and then a killing of Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, you knew something was going on. And it was in that summer I had, well, that summer I was living in Oakland with, with my relatives. And, um, and that summer I was able to meet a person who was in the Black Panther Party, lived right down the street where I was staying at. And we talked about the Black Panther Party, and he said, we well, want to come to a meeting. It was at this church in West Oakland called St. Augustine's Church, and I said, yeah, I want to come. And that was how I eventually joined the Black Panther Party. Going to political education meetings, it wasn't like you filled an application and joined the Black Panther Party. It was like, they want to see who you are, come to the meetings, get, get politically educated, like all the other Panthers were. And so we had to read the Red Book by Mao Zedong. We were educated by some of these top guys who were the leadership of the Black Panther Party. This was the head of the Black Panther Party in Oakland. Bobby Seale would run through now and then, and David Hilliard, who was the chief of staff, would run through. But we were being educated by George Murray, who was the, he was called the Minister of Education. He was a professor at San Francisco State, very bright guy. So I, you know, every Tuesday, Thursday nights or whatever, I would go down to the to this church and and then on Saturdays as well. Then I started getting going to drills, you know, Black Panther Party drills, and and eventually, I was given assignments uh, to go to rallies, to be security at rallies. I didn't have a gun or anything, but I was asked to be, you know, be in the perimeter, watch out for anything. I was going to rallies where all the top leadership was speaking at in Oakland and in San Francisco. Um, sell newspapers, it was, the, it was the best newspaper around, selling that newspaper. So I was doing all that that summer. So I was kind of living a crazy life, you know, in a lot of ways. I also was writing a column in, in the school newspaper called The Daily Aggie. I was writing a column called The Dark Side, which was my analysis of what was going on with black folks at Davis and, and around the country. So I had an opinion piece in the, in the newspaper. I was president of the Black Student Union, and I was in the Black Panther Party. Before I left Oakland, I invited the Minister of Education, George Murray, to come and give a speech at Davis that fall. No one ever from the Black Panther Party, no officer of the Black, no one that spoke at Davis before the Black Panther Party. And he agreed. And I said, well, I know you guys charge money to speak. So I said, how much would it cost to have you come up? He said $500. And back then, that was a lot of money. 
But I said, okay, I will, you know, I will try and raise that. So, I, so that fall, you know, I started talking to people. I was pretty close with the student body president, and I said, hey, man, this is what I'd like to see happen. And he said, okay, I will allocate some money. So I had, I got the money allocated. George, and now at that time when I came back up to Davis, Sacramento had a chapter or a branch of the Black Panther Party here in Oak Park. So now, even though I had been in the central headquarters of the Black Panther Party, now I was going to be relating to the Sacramento Panthers. But I was over here at Davis, 20 miles away. I wasn't living in Sacramento. So and there was a few people on Davis campus who was relating to the Black Panther Party. Uh, my roommate it was... Um, we call him, call him a pseudo panther, you know. He, you know, he believed in the Panthers, and there, and there was a woman on campus who was from Sacramento who was in the Panthers. Um, but I didn't participate in a lot of the Panther activities over here because I was going to school at Davis. I was running around being a football player, doing all this at Davis. So I think there was a little bit of jealousy or, uh, or whatever. Or some people were mad at me here up in Sacramento because I was, you know, I was being a Panther in Davis, but I wasn't being a Panther in Sacramento. You know, I wasn't doing all the things that Panthers were doing in Sacramento. But I had invited George Murray to come up, and so I had a little bit of status and stature. So George came up. The Panthers here in Sacramento, they provided the security for the event. We wouldn't have UC campus campus folks be a security for that event. I mean, they were probably on the parameter, but they were not inside the building. It's the the Freeboro Horn was packed. Over a thousand people were in that hall. George Murray spoke, gave a fantastic speech about the history of the Black Panthers, about what was going on with Black people around the country. Very analytical, Marxist interpretation of what was going on. Seemingly, and most people liked it. They passed around the 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 place so they probably maybe probably got another two hundred dollars i don't know because i wasn't involved in it and then they left and i said whoa he left no problems it was a great event you know so I, I was very relieved i was very happy about the event about a week later i got a phone call and i was asked to come up to a house in sacramento in oak park to meet with the leadership of the panthers here in Sacramento. When I got to the meeting, they demanded, well, they said, that was a nice event, but, you know, um, uh, uh, central committee members, which George Murray was, uh, speaking fees for those individuals is $1,000. So you owe us another $500. I said, wait a minute now. I negotiated this with him, and he said $500. We raised the money. He got the money. There's no more money. Well, you owe us $500. And I said, me? I, you know, I don't have $500. I'm just as poor as you guys, right? And I'm trying to plead with them. And they basically kept demanding it from me and, and, and basically trying to intimidate me. So I basically right then and there, I said, if this is how the Black Panther Party operates, I quit. And I walked out. Little did I know you don't just quit the Black Panther Party. And about a week or so later, a contingent of Black Panthers came down to Davis to get me. They came to my apartment. Fortunately, I wasn't there. I was at our, our office, our BSU office, under Freeborn Hall. Um, but my roommate was there. And they beat him up. I got a phone call, said, get out of there. 
<laughs> they're coming for you. And I just knew what they were talking about. And I got the hell out of the office. I jumped on my bike. Of course, that's well, you have Davis's bike. I jumped on my bike. And I rode my bike to our advisor's office, a house. Why did I go to my advisor's house? Dr. Ed Turner, who was one of the only black professors on campus, had guns. He had shotguns. He had pistols. He had he had weapons, and because he was a crazy guy, <laughs> he uh, was an ex-con uh, who had basically turned his life around. But he was still a street guy, and so the Panthers didn't get me. They didn't get me. They didn't find me that night. And the next day or so, uh, we got a call that they were going to come down and get me on a Friday night. Come down and get me on a Friday night. So I got in touch with everybody who I could to say what was going on. I, I called my brother up who was in Berkeley at Cal, and he says, no problem, you know, um, I'll come up and, and be with you. And he brought guns up. He had an M1 carbine, a shotgun, and a pistol because he was in the revolution down in Berkeley or in Oakland. The students, the black students, they all rallied around me. You know, they said, it's not your fault. You know, they're, they're after you. They're after us. So we went out on the causeway one morning. Dr. Turner took us out. He had guns. And we went out and did target shooting out on the causeway, guys and girls. That was how, that was how it was back then. And then that Friday evening, we uh, uh, were bivouacked, uh, a military term, but that's what it was, at a house in, in Davis waiting for the Panthers to come get me. Uh, we had monitors at all the entrances to Davis, so we knew if they were, we knew where their cars were, so if they were coming, you know, a car full of black guys come to Davis, that's pretty easy to see. So we would basically know when they were coming in. And that evening, we, I was sitting behind a hedge and other people in the house waiting for the Panthers to come get me. And I don't know if they would have came, we would have had a firefight. And it would have been huge news. It, it would have been huge national news if that would have happened. It never happened. They didn't come that night. I also told my some friends of mine at, at, at Santa Barbara, Black Student Union Santa Barbara, I told them about the situation, and they said, okay, man, we don't want you guys fighting between each other, so we're going to come up and mediate this thing. And they came up with their guns from Santa Barbara. The next day, the, the UC Davis campus cops got wind of what was going on, and they... I don't know how it happened, but they they intercepted the folks from UC Santa Barbara, um, confisc confiscated their guns, um, and I knew this shit was getting out of hand. I decided to go turn myself in to the Panthers in Oak Park because I don't want anyone else to get hurt. People are losing their guns. People, you know, things were just escalating out of control. So I said, let me go turn myself in. If they, they wanted to do whatever they wanted to do to me, that was going to be on me, not on anybody else. So I went up to um, um, Oak Park. They were having a social gathering on that evening. And I went up to where they were having the social gathering at. And I walked up to the person who was the captain of the, the Panthers. His name was Charles. I said, Charles, you want me, you got me. He says, well, 
we've been instructed by the, the Panthers, the Central Committee in Oakland, to leave you alone. I said, really? Yeah. So, so there's nothing with us anymore. I said, that's great. And I got the hell out of there. I just hang around and have a drink, right? I just got the hell out of there. Uh, so that was a great relief. What had happened was that I had an aunt who was um, very close to the Panthers. And she was a Jewish woman. She was a real estate broker. She was probably one of the most influential individuals in the Bay Area. She was basically my, my mentor, political mentor for a lot of things. And I guess she had heard about it. She got in touch with, the, with, with people and then they told them, told them, leave me alone. About a week or so later, uh, a, a committee from the Central Committee came up to Davis and they officially expelled me from the party. They said, okay, you, you, know, you can hang out or you can support us, but you can't be in the party. I said, fine, no problem with me, that's great. So I was kicked out of the Black Panther Party. It was not a bad mark on my, it wasn't a black mark on my situation. I just felt that I was very relieved out of a situation where I thought that these guys in Sacramento were totally out of line, totally off, off kilter with what they were doing. And that was the problem with the Panthers. They had over 35 chapters all over the, the country in large cities, smaller cities all over the country, and each of these chapters kind of had their own disciplinary rules. They kind of did what they wanted to do. The Central Committee could not control all of these different chapters, even, even as close as Sacramento. And, but I still supported the Panthers. I became closer to the hierarchy of the Panthers um, even after that because my aunt's contact with the party in fact, when, um, uh, when Huey Newton got out of prison after he was convicted for a 2 to 15 year uh, sentence for, for the killing of a police officer in Oakland and shooting of another one, and his case got, got uh, his, his sentence got, shorted, got shortened because of a, of a technicality in court, so he got out of jail, he was now, seeing, he was now the, the second coming of the Black Revolution, um, everybody was cheering his, um, his return to the streets of Oakland, but he was very different when he came back out of jail after being in jail for about three years. And why was he different was that the, the organization had grown. When he w went to jail, there was probably about 40 Panthers. When he got out of jail, there was over 5,000, 5 to 10,000 Panthers with, with international chapters. So now he had to manage his enterprise. He had written a book, and he was getting money was coming in. He was writing more books. So he needed to be in a place that he felt secure, that no one's going to attack him. He just couldn't just move into a house on the street. Anybody could come up there and blow him away or whatever. So he moved into a penthouse apartment overlooking Lake Merritt, overlooking the courthouse where he was tried at. Guess who got him that penthouse apartment? My aunt. She was a real estate broker and she was a real estate broker for the Panthers. So eventually I got to meet Huey. He uh, went to China. The Panthers went to China before Nixon went to China, before anybody recognized China. The Panthers were associated with the hierarchy of the People's Republic of China. So I had a chance to visit with Huey when he came back from China up in this penthouse apartment.
Um, eventually, in 1972, when Nixon and the Republican Party were trying to come to San Diego, when I was at that time, I had moved back to San Diego, graduated from from UC uh, from UC Davis, somehow graduated. I was working with an anti-war group that was against the war in 1972, and they were against Nixon coming to San Diego. And I was part of a, a, a black caucus group, and we kind of did things underground. And we were basically trying to, um, we're working with, with the white radicals to stop Nixon from coming to San Diego. I actually wrote a, a essay about what our activities were in San Diego and how we were going to stop Nixon from coming to San Diego. Now, if you remember four years earlier in Chicago, there was a big, for four days, there was a riot. There were riots in the streets in Chicago, anti-war protesters demonstrating against the Democratic Party about the war, and that caused Nixon to get the presidency because the Democrats were split. So now Nixon was trying to have a convention in San Diego. We said Chicago was going to be a picnic compared to San Diego. We were going to have 500,000 protesters in San Diego. And I wrote this in this essay. I sent the essay to my aunt, just so she could look at it. She gave it to Huey. Then Huey got it printed in the newspaper. So here I was. It was April something, 1972. An eight-page article, byline by Stan Oten, about Nixon coming to San Diego and how we were going to stop him. I thought I was going to die the next day. I said, this is it. You know, at the least I was going to get fired, you know, because I, I was working for the city government in San Diego. A week later, the Republicans pulled out of San Diego and went to Miami. Pulled out. Now, prior to that time, I was being surveyed by the FBI or whoever. I mean, they were coming down my alley by my house all the time. I thought all hell was going to break loose. But then they left and they went to Miami. When the Watergate hearings came up in 1974-75, before Nixon resigned, I was watching testimony of the Watergate hearing, a name that you can research, his name was Gene Gort G. Gordon Liddy, who was arrested in the Watergate caper. He was one of the chief guys. He went to jail because he wasn't going to testify against Nixon. He was like he was like Roger Stone before Roger Stone. Someone testified in the Watergate Senate hearings that G. Gordon Liddy had came to the Attorney General, John Mitchell, who eventually went to jail too, and told him that I have a plan. Uh, you know, they, they want to do something for Nixon. So th their first plan, G. Gordon Liddy, was to go to San Diego and kidnap the radicals in San Diego, take them to Mexico and kill them. That was part of his plan. And the attorney general kicked him out. He said, get out of here with that plan. That's a terrible plan, you know. And the next plan he came back with, with was Watergate. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to all this, you know. I'm going, what? That was all happening. So that was part of what I was involved in when I was, you know, when I was growing up, uh, you know, when I was a young guy as a student. And that was Sac State political science professor Stan Oden. 
Until next time, you can catch all of our State Hornet podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And you can also keep it tuned to statehornet.com for around-the-clock news coverage. Until next time, I'm your podcast editor, Robbie Pierce, and I thank you for listening.